You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We have, we have been in a series of, of talks called First Things First. And with the premise of this idea that the majority of conflict in our life um, results from mismanaged priorities. Um, the stress, the, the chaos, it comes from this uh, mismanagement of what becomes priority in our life. And we talked about uh, how we seek first the kingdom and how when we align our heart with that, um, how it's not just something we do, but it's everything that we do. And in that, we seek first the kingdom. We talked about stewardship and first fruits and, and managing our money the way that God says to. We, we talked about relationships, the idea about first getting the, the log out of our own eye before we address the speck in someone else's. And we, we talked about uh, the principle and priority of celebration. Um, but today, as we kind of wrap this series up, um, I, I believe that it's probably the most important part of this. Because priorities are great how we can align our lives, our habits, all that God wants to do through us is is great. Um, But with every spiritual discipline, as we've been talking about, every every making time to pray, making time to to read God's word, to be in community with other people, to to continue to take steps in our journey of following Jesus, if all of those things are great, they should happen. They're they're important. I mean, we we talk about it a whole lot. but that's not it. It's not all of it. When, when, when the things become so important that we fail to see the heart behind it, there can be, there can be a shift. There can be a, a massive shift that happens. And so we're going to unpack God's word, but first we're going to start with this, uh, this idea and this truth that it's easy for us to drift. We don't have an anchor. I know that sounds very basic. Uh, for those that grew up on the boat, on the lake, it's very easy to drift if you don't have something like anchoring you down. It's very easy to, to, to put things in our life. I mean, that's why New Year, New Me, right? Most people have already broke their New Year's resolution. Um, let's be honest, you have, okay? You're eating cake last night. You broke it, all right? Um, you haven't even seen the gym more than once, all right? Like, th- those ideas, like, their habits and, and behaviors are great for a season. They, they put us in a posture to grow and to change. But they're not the end all. And it's really easy for us to to drift in our life if we don't have things that are holding us down, that are anchoring us. Uh, For instance, uh, my wife, she does this all the time, but this last couple of weeks, we started tracking what we eat. Uh, There's some apps you can put in your calories and stuff. And some of it was shocking. Someone was like, oh, wow. And that part of me is just lazy because I'm like, I don't feel like logging it, so I'm not going to eat it. I think that's part of the the behavior modification. This whole thing is like, ugh. Do I really want the guilt of saying how many peanut butter filled pretzels I just ate? Because a serving is eight, but I had like, you know, two handfuls, you know? Um, But some of it was shocking because it's like when you start looking at exactly the amount of calories and the macros that you're intaking, some days you're like, wow, this is awesome. I still have 600 calories that I can eat uh, at the end of the day. Some days it's like, I should have eaten so much less starting at noon today. Uh, But it's it's eye-opening. Because you, you get into a rhythm, you get into a pattern of doing things, but, but this assessment of stopping it and looking at it from a different perspective, it's like, man, look how far I've deviated. The problem becomes not just when 
we do the disciplines. Those things are awesome. They're great. But when we, the dangerous part is when the, the life-giving rhythms of spiritual disciplines become more just mindless habits of things that we check a box. We came Sunday morning, check. We opened up our Bible. Our app even told us so, check. Hey, we, we prayed. We told somebody we we're going to pray, not just, hey, bless your heart. I'll pray for you, but you actually did it, check. All right, we, 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 we served, check. We, we did the things, we checked. We check all the boxes, but yet there's no anchor, and so our, our lives continue to drift because the behaviors are great, but it's the heart behind it. We can grow to a point where we just grow stale. We grow a bit cold. We're, 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 we're following Jesus, but we're not loving Jesus. Right? Our, 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 our behavior says one thing, but our heart is just kind of like, eh. it's just, it's, it's grown cold, it's grown stale. But, but like a slight deviation is huge. That's why this is so important because yes, we can talk about priorities, we can talk about putting the right things in the right order in our life, but if the heart's not there, we're gonna miss it. Like think about, if you set a course to travel, right? And you're off by just one degree, Sounds simple. Sounds very basic. After a foot, it's like 0.2 inches. That's, that's not a whole lot. But after 100 yards, it's five feet. After a mile, 92 feet. If you were to go from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., you'd be 42.6 miles off. You'd be on the other side of Baltimore. If, if you keep traveling, uh, if we were to send a rocket to the moon just off one degree, we'd miss the moon by 4,100 miles. If you're traveling to the sun, you'd miss the sun by 1.6 million miles by one degree. And if we were to go to the closest star, which is pretty far away, we'd miss it by 441 billion miles, one degree off. Checking the boxes, doing the Christian thing, walking in obedience, if the heart is not tethered to it, there's a one degree off. And you can do the right things. You can grow up in church your whole life and not know Jesus. I mean, we live in the South. I, I think more than anything, we get this. Because I've met people that grew up in the church and they never actually had a real encounter with the love of Jesus that was life-altering and life-changing. The heart matters. The heart is crucial. So how do, we, how do we change this? It's not just like I need to muster up the strength to like love God more. Like what do, what do we do with this? Um, well, we're gonna see, if you have a Bible with you, we're gonna be in Revelation chapter two. Uh, we're gonna look at a brief part of this. I'm not gonna give us a ton of, of setup because um, we don't have a ton of time to, to go into all the complexities of, of Revelation. But this is uh, John, he has, has a revelation. He's on the island of Patmos, and he's got a revelation from the Lord. He's, he's taken up to heaven, and he writes down these things that Jesus tells him. And this is Jesus speaking. And Revelation 2, we're going to start in verse 1. This is a message to the church in Ephesus. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. This is starting out great, right? 
He's like, this is, that's, a, that's a good thing for a church. He's like, look, you're patient, all your hard work. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those that say they're apostles and are not. You have discovered they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. This is like, you're going down the report card and you're like, and my voice cracked, cool. Uh, check, 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 right? These are good things. They're like, hey, this is, this is a cool moment, right? You, you, you evaluate the truth. You're, you're doing these things. Verse four, though. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other like you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Right? They were doing things well. Like, hey, you don't tolerate evil. Hey, you evaluate people that say they're, 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 they're prophets. You, you evaluate it to truth. Hey, you're, you're serving. You're, you're doing all the things. You're playing the part, but your heart is drifted. You don't love me like you used to. Now, the city of Ephesus was, was a, uh, before Paul arrived, it was like a thousand-year-old city. It was, it was very important. There was like a half a million people that lived in the city at the time, fourth largest. Major trade routes went through the city. Um, it was one of the most important cities in the Roman provinces of Asia. Um, and they, they had this temple that was dedicated to their goddess, Artemis. Um, they would worship at this temple. I actually got a, a picture, an artist's rendering of what the temple looked like. It was massive. So much of the, the commerce in Ephesus were people coming to worship at this temple. There were silversmiths and there were tradesmen and there was there was people in the marketplace, a lot of it revolved around worshiping in this temple. It was a key to their wealth. They had an amphitheater that could seat 24,000 people. It was a booming metropolis of a city. And you can read this in Acts 16 when Paul goes to Ephesus. He kind of turns the city on its head. He, he, he goes and he preaches and he, he continues to stay for over two years and he's, he's telling them about the love of God and the, the transformation that happens. And he, he's, people are getting healed. There's demons that are cast out. And pretty soon there's this threat. They're like, hey, look, we don't want to like this. There's this defining moment where, where all these people who worship Artemis and who are involved in witchcraft, there was this massive book burning in the, in the city square where these people who are renouncing their old ways and deciding to follow Jesus, it was a, estimates are between one to $5 million worth of books that were burned. And it was this like, hey, we're, there's no going back. We're, we're, we're following in the ways of Jesus. And likely the, the people who made their money off of the temple and all the things associated to that worship were mad. And so they started a riot and they, they filled up the amphitheater and they, were, they, they wanted Paul killed they had zeal, they had fervor, but here's the, the temple now. This is all that remains, some ruins. Other gods, other things will come and go, but the faithful love of the, of the Lord endures forever. So they had zeal, look, I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance, I know you don't tolerate evil people. 
you patiently suffered with me without quitting. But here's the problem. See, you don't love me like you used to. You don't, you don't love each other like you did at first. What, what do we mean by that? Is that is, does it, is it feel like this kind of like middle school relationship? It's like, you don't like me like you used to. Like, what, what, what's going on here? What is, what is Jesus actually saying? Um, my wife and I, we started dating in high school. Uh, we've been together 21 years. And let's rewind a little bit. You can see how much um, I married up. Okay, there's, that's, you can see the shadow of the goatee. Here's another one. Um, I was a little bit larger. I got stung by a bee, all right? Um, <laughs> We started dating in high school. We've been together for 21 years. Um, for me to say like, hey, to go back to the way that I first loved her would actually be a regression. Because we've been through life together. We, we've been through having three kids together. Well, she had the kids. I was there to support. Uh, like we, we've, been through, we've been through seasons of 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 blessing and seasons of not much. We, we've been through highs and lows. We've, we've walked through grief and through death and through hardship and pain, and, and our love has grown. Our, our love has increased, and the depth of it has grown. And so for me to say, hey, let, let's go back to the way I first loved her would actually be going backwards. And so what, what, what is he saying here? It's, it's, it's not the, the depth of love because I, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I love him. The more I've seen God's faithfulness in my life, the more I'm grateful for him. The longer you and I follow him, understand his word and get a better glimpse of him, the more we desire to love him. It's, there's this distinction between losing and leaving in that, in that communication, that wordage there. It wasn't they just like lost it. It was they, they, they left it. They, they regressed away from the zeal that they once had and the depth of love and it became a box to check instead of the desire of their heart. Same is true for you and I. Right? They're doing great things. Their, their deeds were good, but without the desire of the heart involved, it's just empty. And you can get up every morning and you can read God's word and you can keep it on the surface and not love him like you should. We, we can all do it. I think one of the greatest like, tragedies is even those that are in ministry that do it. Like you, it becomes a job. And, and my, my posture has always been, God, I don't wanna love you for the job. Like I want to love you. I want to be madly and passionately in love with the person of Jesus and his work in my life. It's not that they had really lost something, that they forgot the, understood, the, the, the understanding of God's love for them. John Piper says this, he says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. If you think about that, when, when our hearts, our minds, our actions, when we are most satisfied in God, that he is most glorified. Because it, it changes everything. It, it, the actions are good, but if the heart is in, in alignment, all of the other stuff will happen. 
if you're passionately of love with Jesus, you can't wait to wake up in the morning to be in his word. If, if, if Jesus is everything to you, then the way that you look at your finances is like, God, you gave it to me in the first place. If he is first, if he is everything, then everything else falls into alignment, into the proper priority. So the heart has got to be engaged. They were just playing church. They were hardworking, everything looked great on the outside, but on the inside, they're like, hey, look, you're doing the thing, but your heart's not involved. Secondly, is that the what can easily distract us from the why. The what we do can easily distract us from the why. Look, there's always things to do. There, there's always something else to be done. There's always areas to serve in the church and, and in the community. There's, there's, there's always needs. There's always things to do. And, and sometimes my biggest struggle is, is the doing part, right? We, we, it's easy to do, but sometimes we can get so inundated with, with doing and the actions that we, we forget why we're doing it, right? Very famous passage of scripture. If you've got your Bibles, flip over. We're back in Luke chapter 10. Um, as we unpack the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, Luke 10 says this in verse 38. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, this doesn't seem, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now, I can almost hear like the, the subtle Southern passive aggressiveness that's probably happening in the story. Like, well, I guess somebody's gonna make dinner, you know? They're just kind of sitting around and, and Martha's like, I guess I'll do it. Don't worry about it, Mary. You just sit there. Like, there's this, like, she's probably in the kitchen, just kind of, there's just so much to do. Wish I could have some help. Does Mary show up? No, Mary just sits there. And finally, she's like, I'm going to tattle. Jesus, um, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I've been slaving away in the kitchen here, and, and Mary's just sitting around doing nothing. You can tell they're siblings, let's be honest, right? Because uh, siblings have a, a very distinct idea of how much work one person is doing compared to them or how much chocolate milk is in the glass compared to them or, or dessert, whatever the portion is. And she's like, uh, Jesus, look, don't you think it's unfair if anyone's going to bring justice in this situation? It's Jesus, right? Don't you think it's unfair? Like, let's remember context here for a minute. This wasn't an air fryer dinner, okay? It wasn't some, some chicken nuggets in the oven and we're going to eat in a little bit. This was a long process. Like, estimates are, in order to grind enough flour to make bread for a family of five was a three-hour-a-day ordeal. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you spent three hours cooking a meal? Let's start there. You had to get firewood. You had to collect the firewood. You had to start a fire. You had to bring in the wheat. You had to thresh the wheat. You had to grind the flour, make the bread. So this isn't just like, oh, she's whipping up some hors d'oeuvres in some like boneless nuggets, you know? This is Martha doing a lot of work. 
And I'm like, I get it. Mary's being lazy. Get up off your rump. Get in the kitchen and do some work. It's not fair. Right? Am I, am I the only one? I'm like, she's the lazy sibling. Like, yes, it's important to spend time with Jesus, but like, if no one is in the kitchen, where are they going to eat? I know Jesus can do a miracle, right? But think about it. Like, that seems like a very valiant thing to do. It seems like it's a noble thing, not valiant, but a noble thing to do, to spend time and attention of, of doing something for Jesus, creating a meal, crafting, like, like offering it up to him and to celebrate, to break bread together. And then Jesus responds. But the Lord said to her, with compassion though, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. She's like, yes, it's dinner for the God of the universe. Hello. But he said, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. Ouch. Right? The doing's important, but what happened? The doing became the most important thing. And she literally has the Son of God in her home. And instead of spending time with him, instead of learning at his feet. Now, this was the fact that, that Mary was even at the feet of Jesus. That was the posture of, of learning from a rabbi. Women were not allowed to do that. That, that, was, that was taboo. And Jesus is spending time with her and he's, he's pouring into her. And there's three types of, of, of people that we can kind of glean from this. There's those like Mary, that they know how to sit and they know how to do. They, they, they know how to be at the feet of Jesus. They, they know how to spend time in God's presence, spend time in God's word, spend time worshiping. They, they know how to be with the Lord. Those that are like Mary or like Martha, who are diligent with the best intentions to, to serve God. But the whole emphasis is on the doing. I, I fall into this camp so often. I'm a detail person. I, I worry about the details. I worry about the little things. And sometimes the little things become the thing. Am I the only person here? Can anyone thank you? For, thank you. We'll support group after church. Um, but it's, he said, but, it's, but without adding the one thing, you've missed the thing. Mary discovered the one thing, and it's not going to be taken from her. And the third is those who don't do either. They're in the house with Jesus, but they're too busy with their own pursuits, with their own agendas, with their own desires, with their own priorities. And we miss out on what he's doing. The good things, when they become the most important things, are no longer good things, Right? Good things, when they become the thing and the thing isn't Jesus, is no longer a good thing because it has become priority. The actions follow the heart and not the other way around. Yes, yeah, sometimes we, we, you're not gonna wake up in the morning at four o'clock. It's like, you know what? I just need God's word. You're like, no, I need the snooze button, okay? That's what I need. The disciplines posture us into a, into a position for, for God to cultivate our, our hearts and our lives. So it's not always like, 
you know, you wake up, your feet are on the ground, and you're worshiping. It's a, it's a discipline sometimes. But it's us not making it a ritual or a void and empty habit. But we allow the disciplines for our heart to grow. Does that make sense? So how can we do this practical ways? Because um, we can make it about our gifting, about our calling, or, or the things that we have. Some very practical ways to, to get back to the place where, like, Jesus was everything. One is spend some time in, like, personal worship. If, if this is the only worship that you get during the week, may I encourage you to spend time in worship. Because three songs will not carry you seven days, I promise you. You'll be driving down the road tomorrow morning and want to sing out something else to somebody driving, right? Spend time in personal worship and devotion. Um, even take time out of, your, out of your day, out of your week, out of your, your month that you just go away and be with the Lord. Time of, of prayer and fasting. That you just put everything else aside and hear from the Lord. That if, if what you're doing is not working, then maybe you need to do something else. Because if the same rhythm that you're in day in and day out is like, oh, there's this coldness, there's this like, I, I wish I was passionate, then maybe you've got to do something different. Right? The definition of insanity is what? Is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. You want different results? Try something different. Wake up early, go to bed early. Like, throw some goldfish on the floor for your kids and lock yourself in a closet. Like, do something. Change it up. I think one of the easiest ways is to just remember the gospel message. Look back at your life, at your brokenness before you met Jesus. If that doesn't stir something in you, of, wow, God, how could you love me when I was at my worst? When I was broken, when I was rebelling, when I was an enemy, you still loved me? I didn't even love myself then, but you did. That will put our heart in the right place. Another thing is repentance. Like, even think about it in the garden, right? Sin entered the world. What did Adam and Eve do? They, they hid. They tried to hide from God. It's like... <laughs> like a toddler playing hide and go seek, saying it behind like a, you know, with their eyes closed. You're not hiding. But what, what is shame? Shame says, hey, walk away, stay hidden. But, but grace brings things to the light and we repent. And guess what? God isn't like, mm, I've already forgiven you for that one a couple times. I don't know. It hasn't been long enough. No, God will not reject a repentant heart. Right? When we come to him where we're truly repentant, means a change in behavior, a change in our ways, a turning, right? When we bring things back to the light, there's healing. And sometimes shame is one of the things that prevents us. We want to do the thing, but not be connected in our heart emotionally. It's usually a lack of repentance. And then lastly, is that an empty cup can't pour anything. An empty cup cannot pour anything. We, we don't do things to earn God's love, right? It's not like, hey, if I check enough boxes in my Bible that God's going to love me more. 
if I serve enough times on Sunday morning in the preschool that God's going to love me more. If I forgive enough people that God's going to love me. No, no, no. It's not that we do in order to earn God's love. It's because we are loved because when we understand the depth of God's love for us, it changes what we do. It, it, it changes how we operate. It changes, it changes everything. And, and I think there's, there's, there's a couple of camps with this. What do we, what do we mean by, by filling, right? The idea of being connected to the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? We, we stay connected in him, we bear fruit. When we spend time in God's presence, yes, we have the Holy Spirit with us if you're a follower of Jesus. If you surrendered your life to him, accepted his death on the cross in your place, like we're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He's always with us. But when we spend time in his presence, when we stop, when we yield our life to him, that fills our cup. It, 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 it fills our cup with, with how we treat other people, with how we, with how we speak to them, with what drives our, our motivation, our desires in our life. That fills us. And, and for some people, it's like, you were the overflowers. We just, we want to sit in the presence of God and we just sit there and our cup is just running over and running over and running over, but we don't ever want to go anywhere. We just stay. And so like, it's, it's, it's very much me focus. I mean, it sounds selfish, but we want to be in the presence of God, but God's like, hey, go and love other people. We're like, oh. He's like, no, no, actually go. So we, we can, I mean, the pendulum in the world swings way back and forth in huge extremes. And very much so, it's, it's so much about self-care. And yes, that stuff's important. But if we follow the trail of self-care to the end of it, it's only about us. I'm, I'm not saying at the other end that we need to be a, a martyr and, and sacrifice our body in abuse for doing the things to advance the kingdom. What I'm saying is that we need to be filled so that we can pour out to others. And for some, your cup is so dry that the only drop you get is on a Sunday morning. And may I implore you that the thirst you feel that God wants to satisfy. And the thirst isn't because you're lacking or deficient. The thirst is because you're, you're not going to the source. Spend time in his word. Spend time in his presence. For some, it's a, it's a fire brigade. It's like you get a little bit and you pour out and serve others. You get a little bit and you pour out and serve others. And it's just like this. It's, it's the doing. Spend time with God so I have a word I can encourage someone else. I, I, I need to keep my, my words in check and I, and I spend time in God's presence and I, and I pour it out and, and it's this. But the way that God wants us to operate, the way that God wants us to live, we are under the source that God is filling our cup and we're pouring out to others continually. That as we spend time in his presence, that as we learn to love him in the depth and the core of who we are, the overflow of that would be the actions. We don't want you to serve in church because we're like, hey, we're desperate. Kids are running amok back there. Like, hope your kid's fine. God bless you. We want you to say, hey, the gospel has changed me so much and I want to be a part of what God is doing so that other people, when they are dead in sin, can realize that there is life in Christ and I want them to have that. So I wanna do whatever I can with my life to, to, to be a part of this.
only God satisfies. The, the, the thought is, is as we, as we grow up, we're like, hey, when I, when I graduate from high school, that's gonna be, that's gonna be the mark. When I finally graduate, that's when I'm gonna have it. That's when there's gonna be like this satisfaction in my life. And then you get your first real bill and you experience adulthood. You're like, well, this is lame. Or maybe it's, maybe it's when you wanna get married. Like then there's gonna be just like just love and tenderness and romance and just, it's gonna be perfect 24 seven. Then you realize that, hey, we're two imperfect people. Or, or maybe you're like, hey, it's one day when I finally have my own house. That's when we can be like, ah. just this past week, my garbage disposal started leaking out the bottom where the electrical cord comes. Now I'm not a plumber or an electrician, but those two trades usually are different, okay? My fridge, just at random times, the water dispenser just starts squirting water on the floor. It's like, you thirsty? And you get home, you're like, I gotta fix stuff. This isn't fun. And then you're like, maybe one day when I retire. <sighs> but every person I talk to who's retired, they're like, I'm more busy now than I ever was working. I want a job again. C.S. Lewis said that if I find within myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only possible explanation is that I was not meant for this world. And you know what? Nothing on this earth will ever fully satisfy you. Because you weren't meant for earth. You were meant to spend eternity with your heavenly Father who made you. And we realize that, hey, to be back at a place where you were everything to me. Every desire, every need, every, every, every longing in my heart, nothing else will satisfy it. So I'm sick and tired of doing the things that don't fix the thing. God, the thing that's gonna fix the thing is you. And so just as a, as a posture of surrender, we're gonna end today in worship. Actually, would you stand with me? I want, I want to pray over us as we sing these truths over us. Lord Jesus, we, we honor you in this place. And Father, we pray that more than things to do, more than obligations or responsibilities, God, that the, the strongest thing in our heart, the strongest thing motivating and driving us this year be your love for us and as a response to your love for us a reciprocal love God that we would make space and room in our heart in our mind in our priorities in our desires in our rhythms of living and God when we put you first Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. 
Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.